Hello, this is the Headphones Podcast with myself, Ryan, slash Paco, and we have Ishka on tonight. Say hello, Ishka. Hello. All right. Uh, How about you, Mr. Ruckus? Uncle Ruckus? Hello, this is Uncle Ruckus. All right, we got a fun-filled action pack episode tonight. All right, so start with uh, music stuff. I'll let you go first, Mister Ruckus. All right, so the um, the album that I wanted to share tonight is one called Ibei, I B E Y I. It's a uh, self-titled album by this uh, pair of twin sisters that are French Cuban, and um, I just really enjoyed this album. I thought the vocals were really really nice on it um had some really good driving bass lines um especially in uh one track rivers which i think is one of the singles off the cd and another one called uh, mama says um which i also really enjoyed um it's got uh it's got some yoruba influences which is like a um nigerian ancestral um relation that they have um but they were they were brought up in france and then um moved to cuba uh where actually their father was um part of the buena Vista social club um and then they got into music after that anyway um i just really enjoyed this album and wanted to share it uh i think it's got really nice production as well um sounds pretty good all right i got some I got about three albums actually to contribute here. Uh, the first one is Undertale. If you've not heard of that game, it's a it was a very popular indie game. It actually gotten so popular it annoyed some people. It's kind of funny in its own right, but it's mostly chiptune stuff. And then uh, there's a couple actual instrumental tracks on there, and it's all well mastered. There's also another remix album someone did called Determination. And that all just the whole soundtrack was basically put through a rock filter. Kind of cool. Um, then there's Enter the Gungeons OST, which is very good. And that's somewhat electronic and somewhat rock and some other instrumental stuff here and there. And then the uh, Witcher 3 official soundtrack, which is almost all instrumentals. And really well mastered. Got some good dynamic range on it. And great bass and vocals. And just, you know, in languages you're never going to understand. Alright, well, uh, do you have anything to contribute, Ishka, with this one? I actually didn't prepare any albums, but... For the next podcast, I'll definitely contribute something. All right, sounds good. Anything you've been listening to regularly, recently? Um, I rediscovered Radio uh, Yui Habiela because, um, I don't know, I like haven't been li- listening to acoustic music much, but it's really nice for studying. Like Their self-titled album is really, really nice to listen to. Cool. Awesome. Alright, now we got... Let's move on to headphone news. So, Ruckus, you've now heard the Blackwood. What do you think of the Blackwood? Yes. Um, so, the Blackwood is is interesting. I think uh, ZMF, I think Zach, um, has a very particular tuning that he tries to go for with each headphone. Um, with a little bit of modification here and there. Uh, definitely, the Omni is a little bit more fun. Um, the Blackwood doesn't have as much of that sort of low-end emphasis. It's a lot more even down there, um, but I think it's still, I think it's still pretty close uh, as far as a general signature to the Omni, um, just with a little bit more control. Um, definitely a laid-back sound. Uh, the mids have this sort of haze to it that um, smooths over some details, but makes it a really sort of fun, laid-back relaxed kind of listen 
Yeah, I'd mostly agree with that assessment. Um, as you know, I had the I just recently got the Purple Hard Blackwoods, and um, I I found with this particular wood, it's incredibly fast and really smooth. Um, and one of the first things people said at the meet when they put it on was, "Wow, for a clothes bag, this is incredibly clear." I was like, "Yep." Surprisingly clear. That's great. I I personally think it's great unique tuning. And I thought it was better than the the. Um... I know Ishka. Yeah, I agree. What do you think of it, Ishka? Well, <clears throat> I haven't owned the Blackwood in I think a year or so. But I did try it at the last meet I hosted a couple months ago, and I actually like still retain the idea that it's the closest thing you can think of to a closed Sennheiser HA, uh, HD 600. Like, it's really interesting that, that you can get like a laid back, but like sort of mid forward tuning in a closed headphone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, you're going to experience that all over again soon. Yeah. Send it out Monday. <laughs> The next podcast, yeah, I'd agree with that. Those. I think, I think um, it's a little different from the from the HD six hundred in the lower mids. It's not quite as warm as the six hundred is, which is like a really, to me, a really pleasant thing about the HD six hundred. All right, it's time to move on to the next uh, product we're going to review. NFB eleven. Ah, Audio GD made a really good entry level, well, for them, entry level uh, DAC slash amp here. Powers my, uh, the powers Blackwoods effortlessly, which are kind of inefficient. And then the Saber chip is just, just smooth. It's bizarre. There's no, there's no treble glare or anything. Ah, it's great. Um, I, I'm just surprised at the like 280 bucks for this thing, and I've just like, just been punching way above its uh, what it should be. It's detailed, detailed amp. Can't really, I can't really describe the sound of it because it's mostly neutral. So, what else can you say other than it's it's pretty neutral? It's resolving. All right. Well, segue from another Audio GD product, the NFB27H, which Ruckus picked up recently. Yeah, so I got the NFB27H. It's their um, top-of-the-line Class A headphone amp, basically the Master 9, paired with the um, the DAC from the NFB7, which is their Sabre-based DAC, um, their, their top-of-the-line Sabre-based DAC. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the exact same DAC implementation or a slightly cut down version of it. Um, but really, uh, same, same, uh, overall impressions as your NFB 11, just lots of detail, uh, very neutral, very smooth. Um, and just delivers a surprising amount of impact, um, especially in the bass with, with all of my headphones, um, going from the, the 1033, which is the Wolfson-based mid-tier uh, all-in-one that they sell, to this um, was pretty noticeable, uh, especially in the low end. I think it just really kind of tightened up and got a lot more control there. Um, sounds really nice. Really been enjoying this unit. Stop it. My wall can only take so much. Uh, okay, so, uh, the Audio Zenith. Again, another piece you, uh, acquired. Uh, no, I actually didn't acquire this one. I had a, uh, I had an opportunity to visit, uh, the underground workshop of Linear Tube Audio, the guys that make the microzodal. Um, and they've been, tre uh, they've been talking, uh, and been in negotiations with different headphone makers, um, because I think they're going to open a retail location soon. Um, so... Uh, Will, who I know at uh, LTA, um, he told me about a couple of headphones he was getting in to try. One of those was the PMX2. Um, another was the Wangi Wood ZMF Omni. 
um, which will be a limited edition, I think, or at least linear tube audio exclusive um, wood version of the Omni. Um, so he invited me over there to check it out. Um, the PMX2, uh, I used to own the PM1, and the PM1 um, was a very polite, uh, easy to listen to, but very smoothed and very sort of undetailed, not very resolving kind of uh, planar headphone. Um, and I think for the most part, the PMX2 is similar in that regard. Uh, just that the balance is a little bit better. Um, you have a little bit more of the upper mids, a little bit more of the lower treble. Um, and actually, I, I thought that the bass was rolled off a little bit in comparison to the PM1. But uh, overall, a really nice signature. I can see why tonally a lot of people would compare it to the HD600. Um, but I think the HD600 is probably a better headphone overall than the PMX2. Um, oh, so you got to hear the Microzodal too? Yeah, I did get to hear the Microzodal too as well. Um, and, and also the, uh, the Wengi Omni, which was, uh, apparently the version of the Omni that I'd heard before was a prototype. It wasn't the final production damping scheme. Um, when I heard this one, I got to hear it with both the lambskin and the cowhide pads. Um, the lambskin pads... Uh, made it relatively neutral, actually quite similar to the Blackwood in that regard. But when you put the cowhide pads on the, the sub-bass, there's a boost there, and it's very localized. And it's really interesting and kind of a weird sound when you hear it at first. Uh, any sub-bass in a track will just immediately come forward and bleed straight into the mid-bass and, and even the lower mids. Uh, with the cowhide pads. So a very fun kind of sound. If you're listening to EDM and uh, you really want a lot of impact, the, the cowhide pads on the Omni uh, is a good choice, I think. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, when I had the Omnis for uh, all the woods, but Sherry, I used the cowhide pads on. I thought, it was, thought they all did quite well, except the walnut. For some odd reason, I could never get in the walnut. Um, yeah, I'd really like the chance to compare uh, the same ZMF model with two different woods side by side. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had that chance, but I think it would be really cool to be able to compare the different wood cups directly. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I had the Blackwood and the Cherry Omni, and I didn't like the Blackwood very much, but for whatever reason, I love the Cherry. Like, I preferred it to even, like, the LCD3 that I had. I think the Cherry is, that's a softer wood, right? So it's supposed to have sort of a longer decay. Am I getting that right? Paco, I yeah. think you, you know this pretty well. Longer decay, more mid-bass. And uh, the more open sound out of all of them. Alright, well, uh, Let's let's move around. Let's move along before we sound like we're shilling ZMF and uh, Audio GD. So uh, the HE350 dropped on Mass Drop. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I got to hear the HE300 uh, a while ago. Um, definitely not not my kind of sound um very very much dipped mids and big mid bass that wasn't that was pretty woolly and uh peaky treble and the measurements that they've released here i don't know how accurate they are but they don't look especially good i know marv uh showed off measurements with some two-ply toilet paper in the cups and that seemed to deal with the mid bass uh, or sorry with the um the lower treble uh, peaks, but um, I don't know. For a hundred bucks, maybe it's a good deal. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I kind of agree. I've, I looked at the measurements and I'm like, eh, it, it may be something decent, I guess. It looks like it kind of almost measures like a DT880 a little bit. Yeah, yeah, actually, now that you said something, it does. Um, 
Oh, did you did the uh, purple hearts finally get pulled down? The purple heart uh, THX zero zeros. I'm not sure actually, but um, you know they extended the drop to two thousand, and they didn't seem to hit that number. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe the market for THX hundreds is finally saturated, and the used prices will come down. I hope so, anyway. All right, so, uh, oh, you know what, Ishka? Why don't you tell us about your stacks? So, I decided to basically sell all of my mid-fi stuff and thought, hey, why don't I get a stacks? Because I wanted that since I was, like, 14 or whatever when I heard one, when I heard a, a Mark One SR007. So, I think a month ago or something like that, I um, got a Mark II with an SRM717, which is, I think, an older amp design, but people say it's better than like a lot of their the newer stacks designs. And at first, I really liked, um, I really liked the sound, but there was something like, but I know like the limitations of electrostatic sound. Like I don't like the 009 at all because of the way it pre um, it presents bass and like a lot like in mid-range like, weirdly it's not, it's kind of like a diffused sound it's like actually ruckus um, describes it really well it's like ghost instrument uh, ghost people playing ghost instruments it doesn't really sound natural but if you're into the sound it's really engaging but so the 007 mark II is apparently brighter than the Mark One, which I liked. And I actually am not the biggest fan of the Mark II sound. But if you have a certain kind of Mark II with like a serial SZ2 or whatever, um, you can do a bass port mod to block the bass port once you open it up with tack. And that increases the bass and makes it a little less bloated or cleaner. And it's more aligned to what I remember hearing, but a little bit brighter. But even then, I still couldn't really get along with the diffuse presentation. Like, its bass was tighter, and for whatever reason, it has really strong sub-bass, like stronger than almost any planar or dynamic I've ever heard. But the presentation is just, like, off to me. It doesn't sound real. It's like, I want to say it has more detail than the Sennheiser HD 800. But if I can't enjoy it, enjoy the presentation, then what's the point? So I've decided to sell. I've been like, I'm still in the process of selling it. It's actually pretty hard to sell this kind of headphone because like, it's not really an impulse purchase. It's something people have to really mull over. So that's yeah, really but, interesting. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm I was just going to say, I'm I'm looking forward to, I'm actually going to get to check out an SR007 Mark II with the blue tack and the spritzer mods. Um, hopefully, there's an impromptu meet that I'm going to next weekend, um, but if not there, then I'll get a chance to hear that in the summertime at Capital Audio Fest, because um, we, we usually have a pretty big meet there, too. And uh, I know uh, a guy locally just got a Blue Hawaii Special Edition, and he has... Um, the SR404 and the 007 Mark II, and I think he has one more stacks, um, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So I'm definitely looking forward to checking out that 007 Mark II with those mods. Yeah, I know in the future I'm probably going to end up with another one when I'm like out of college and like have a staple job. Because apparently someone told me that I haven't really heard it if I haven't heard it out of a Blue Hawaii, which is ridiculous because an amp can only do so much, but willing to give it a shot because the sound is really nice but it's really hard to get used to i actually um paired the mark one earlier today i kind of it, it was unique it it seemed like everything was incredibly fast like sometimes you'll get a headphone where only like parts of the sound are fast like uh some or those sound just fast out of the base. Not this one. It was just consistently fast everywhere, and it was a unique sound signature. 
Also unique sound stage. Kind of weird, like you could tell what the limit of the sound stage was. Quite clearly. Alright, um... Any other meat impressions? Anything else that stuck out to you at your meet today? Seemed like there was a lot of cool stuff there. Oh, I was going to get into that later, but I can get into it. Oh, now. okay. Uh, so I finally heard the HD800s. And now I want a pair of HD800s. That is that is that is a special headphone. Um, may not be the best headphone I've ever heard. Special. Um, It's got just a glorious soundstage. It handles treble the best out of any headphone I've ever heard. Just like my only issue is the, uh, it might get a little tiring to hear something that I lose time. But I also am not going to buy that as an only headphone. So that won't be a problem for me. Oddly, the gentleman was driving it out of a Lear 2, which I thought was an odd choice. Uh, especially for a uh, a stock HD800. So I, I actually used to have that combination, the stock HD800 with a Lear 2 and Bimby. And um, I could definitely tell that the Lear 2 was a little... It wasn't the cleanest sounding amp, and um, but it definitely helped uh, with the bass on the HD800. I think it just drove it well enough to really get good impact um, out of the low end of that headphone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I just I felt like that was a, I don't know. I felt like the Valhalla 2 went better with it, or oddly enough. The grace. I don't know why. It sounded. I agree. Good out of the grace. Yeah. I don't know if it's apparently the grace too kind of sound. To it, but... Supposedly the grace was voiced for the HD eight hundred. No, I didn't like the grace when I sorry I didn't like the grace when I first tried it, but I tried it out of uh, I think it was an Odyssey, which would explain why I didn't like it. But I tried it again with an HE400i and a THX100 or however the hell you call that. And I actually really liked it. Yeah, that's what I call it. Um, I've heard it does similar things to the Mojo where it kind of fattens up the lower mids. Yeah, it does. Oh, the THX00s. I finally heard, uh, heard those. Yeah, all about that bass. It's... I'm kidding, it had some mids, but I don't know. Um, if I was using that as a multimedia headphone, I'd probably buy that, but otherwise, it not really do anything for me. Yeah, I've tried it twice, and I thought the mids were a little flat-sounding. Um, didn't quite have the the detail I was looking for in the mids, and I think the, the lower mids, again, are dipped uh, on that a little bit, uh, which contributes to that. I also had the same re well, I actually had a slightly cringier reaction to uh the Nighthawk. Could see potential there. As it is now, that Nighthawks takes quite a bit to get used to. Because everything but the base is scooped out on purpose. So you have to turn the volume higher. But then you have that base there. It's really odd. It's kind of something you have to listen to yourself. You can't really explain it. Like, people... It doesn't really suck. It's just too different. I don't know how else to put it. Um, yeah, I got to try it um, two months ago. Um, definitely a very colored headphone. Um, in a way, it reminds me of a better Flare Audio R1. Which, yeah, I was up to ask about that. Which, coincidentally, I bought from Ishka um as a laugh because that headphone just puts a smile on my face in a very special way because it's so great it's it's um it's so bad it's good <laughs> ah. uh oh oh speaking of so bad it's good 
the TH500's RP. Um, yeah, that's a headphone. Oh yeah, those... Um... Lambs quite hard, but then it doesn't really do much else. got kind of sizzly treble not in a good way and yeah bids are there i uh, can't really say anything else about them they're there though yeah it has mr speaker's treble not nice yeah uh, yeah oh speaking of mr speakers no my surprise of the night was the ether or a surprise of the day um i actually like the ether um it had a decent sound stage. It resolved a lot better than most orthos I've listened to. Um, the bass was quite nice. Um, the mids were great. It rolled off on the high end, but then, you know, like, eh. I like the rest of it, so. Eh. Um, I'm glad to hear about the bass, because the Ether C disappointed me a little bit, and I haven't had a chance to try the Ether Open, but I'd really like to. Apparently, his had the um, pads put on it by, uh, or these felt these felt pads put under the ear pads um, by uh, Dan. Then the uh, then it had different pads, which apparently changes the sound to be warmer and brings the sub bass. Oh, that's out. the that's the one point one update. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, the bass was quite nice to me. And the advantage of it is, uh, if you wanted to buy like a crap or not crappy amp, an entry level amp, and then a really expensive headphone, this would probably be the headphone to buy, because this thing does not scale worth anything. I took it over, um, I put it through my NFB11, a Cavelli, and a Lear two, and it did not sound. Uh, very different like for you know different kinds of amps at all it didn't scale at all really um, that's interesting i had heard the opposite about it i was kind of surprised really um oddly another headphone there that didn't scale very well anything was the hex that one i kind of think that headphone is too polite to scale well would rather just kind of let you do your own thing while you listen to it. Though, uh, the yeah. HEX was better than I thought it would be, but I would never buy one for its price. The guy who was uh, showing it said, yeah, I don't know why I bought this either. Oh, yeah. Alright, well, uh, let's move on to Deep Discussions. So, uh, what do you guys think of this, uh, purpose of this hobby is? I'll start with, uh, Ruckus. All right. Um, I guess the purpose of the hobby is, the, the headphone hobby is to supplement your music hobby. Um, so, you know, you, you enjoy music, you want the best playback system for it, um, especially for what you listen to. So, uh, to enjoy your music... If you want to enjoy it in a better way, I think that's what this hobby is about, trying to enjoy your music in a better way. Uh, what What about you, Ishka? I'm almost afraid to ask you. What? No. No, um, the reason I got into this hobby when I was like, I don't know, 13, was because I just really wanted to be able to hear music as well as, like, as I could hear it live. Because I started playing instruments when I was like five, like, I started playing piano when I was five, and I played saxophone when I was, like, ten or something like that. And I always, I could never hear, like, the decay and any, and stuff like that, as well as with, um, with whatever stock earbuds I had with whatever phone I had. And I kind of just, like, started from there, and it's, it hasn't really changed at all since then. But if anything, I've just gotten more picky. And, like, I notice smaller things more now that I've heard more stuff. But, I don't know, I'm not really in it just for the best sounding thing. Like, after owning so many different things, I've come to, like, come to enjoy how different things sound like. Um, 
basically how different things have different sound signatures, like how Audio Technica will never sound neutral at all, but it has its own unique coloration, which makes Japanese mu music or female vocals sound really special. I, uh, I own the 8900 and assessment. Um, you know what the purpose of this hobby is? To enjoy audio. That's it. And I feel like people lately on assets have um, gotten that. Because uh, you can see a lot of negativity towards people's opinions differing from their own. Whether it be, you know, hey, dude, you gotta pay attention to the science. Or hey man you you won't like this unless you get it out of a two thousand dollar amp just stuff like that i don't think we need to get much more into that really uh so uh let's see let's do some interesting so what's your proudest audiophile moment Mr. Uncle. What does that mean? I mean, I'm not really sure what what my proudest moment should be. I guess recently it's just getting my 27H and being able to listen to it. So, uh, so your proudest moment was when you could finally afford it, huh? Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, I'm not trying to convert anyone, you know, to, to my side of this hobby or anything like that, so... I don't have a proudest moment that's like a conversion story or a seeing someone's sort of light bulb light up kind of an experience. Um, I guess maybe it's just helping to build the local HeadFi community in my area, um, being able to get more people to come out to meets and stuff. Uh, our last big meet had probably over 40 people in it. Um, which was really cool to just see a lot of people come out and be able to talk to them and, and try out uh, a really big variety of different stuff. Um, so yeah, maybe that, maybe that last big meet is my proudest moment so far. Awesome. Awesome. How about you, Mr. Ishka? Um, sorry, one second. All right. So, uh, I guess my proudest moment was when I finally, uh, finally kicked the boot to all the gaming headsets I'd owned like five years ago now. Um, I used to own Tritons and Turtle Beaches and it wasn't out of, it wasn't out of, uh, you know, I thought they were the best things ever. I actually thought they all sound like crap. I just owned them because they were convenient. And I ended up finally getting a 8900 and a, um, I can't remember if the Zaman mic was around then. It was some, oh, the Zalman clip mic. Um, and then I never looked back from there and it took me a couple years to finally actually move on from the 8900. I think it is to date my, uh, the headphone I've owned the longest, mostly because I still have them. Oh yeah, my proudest audio file moment was actually stepping into this hobby. Alright, how about you, Mr. Ishka? So, I think either last January or last December, um, I kind of came with a, came to a full circle moment with my dad. Um, I remember when like I was younger, my dad bought some Bose speakers and he like, set them up and tried to show them off and was like, don't you hear the sound? Isn't it so much clearer? And I, back then, I like couldn't hear the difference at all. Uh, like he seemed kind of like upset about it, but like not. I don't know. But I got into the hobby a, a couple years later, and since then, like I've shown stuff to my dad. Like he's asked to try it, and like of course I let him try it. And he says he can hear a difference, but he doesn't seem all that impressed. But last December, um, he tried my HD eight hundreds and that moment he like i could see in his face that something actually clicked and it's like this is like he was like this is like this sounds like this is real and i think that is my proudest moment if i have any 
No, that reminds me. I still haven't gotten my dad to not buy bows. Uh, yeah, he he for some reason thinks bow. Like he knows what Seinheiser is, but for some odd reason he still thinks his bows are the best. And I found that incredibly bizarre. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from that. Um so as you um uh, yeah, Sennheiser. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm at Sennheiser. Um <laughs> so by uh Went to a meet earlier today. St. Louis meet. Uh, one of the few, the only, only St. Louis meet. And it was it was a small group, but everybody had some interesting gear, which I've already talked about. Um, the ones who sponsored it were uh, JDS Labs, who's the only audiophile company besides Zach and around me, or anywhere close to me. Um, and they're pretty nice guys. And it was pretty pretty fun group. Got to listen to some were, things. And... Were there a ton of OTs, O2s and elements there? Um, there was only one O2 and one element. Uh, kind of. Uh, kind of want to make a joke that even they don't like it. But... Too late already did, but uh... <laughs> yeah. So I had fun there. Great. I kind of can't wait for next year when I'll have completely different gear. All right, so uh, there was another topic people posted, which was uh, what does our headphones do for a living? I've actually already covered this in the last one. So, uh, yeah, what do you do for a living, Mr. Uncle? Uh, I work for a government contractor. Um, oh my god. Yeah, mostly working uh, projects for uh, three-letter government agencies. Just keep it at that. Uh, so, I work for a government contractor. Uh, they work on airplanes. That's all I can say. I'm a software engineer. I know, Ishka, you're in school, aren't you? Yeah, I am a junior in college in Boston University. Ah, that's always fun. I remember my junior Yeah, it was engineering school, so it was kind of dorky. Actually, it was very dorky. So, um... Oh, another bit of news. Uh, Intel is proposing audio to be put out through USB-C. Kind of like doing that whole same step Apple's doing, trying to get everything into one proprietary, or not one proprietary connection, but just one connection in general. What do you think about that, Rook? Yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. Um, I don't know right now whether analog out is going to be part of this or not. Um, so I don't know if we'll just have headphones that are terminated with a USB-C connector and still get an analog signal out of that port from the phone or if it's going to require there be a DAC and amp in the headphones or at least somewhere in the in the path um so it'll be interesting to see how this develops uh it could be cool um i don't really see a need to replace the headphone jack um but i guess they're trying to make phones thinner or something and so they need to find a new solution to something that's not really a problem. Yeah, I agree. Kind of like reinventing the wheel. Um, what do you think about it, Ishka? Um, I think I did read somewhere that it would be analog, and if that's the case, and we don't need to have like a separate deck and amp in a dongle, I don't think that would be the biggest problem. Like one of the reasons I don't like three point five millimeter is that it has like what is it like five hundred actuations before it wears out. And if I own a phone for two years, I usually wear it out by then. So like instead of using that, like using a dongle to reduce the wear wouldn't be the worst thing. My only concern is you won't be able to charge it at the same time. 
Yeah, that's fair. Then again, I'm probably not going to be using my phone at home so I can charge my phone when I'm not using my phone as a music player. Uh, where are they taping in the background? Oh, um, <laughs> my girlfriend's working on an art thing. Yeah, fair enough. Alright, so, uh, yeah. I... I have to wait and see, honestly. I don't like it, but... ...that way. Um... Speaking of amps and tacks, so... ...been a hot topic for debate lately. Do all amps and tacks sound the same? I wish. <laughs> Um, so at that linear tube audio meet um, that I had uh, a week ago, I got to hear the Microzotal 2, um, and I had actually hauled my 27H out there um, as well. And I got to compare those side by side. Um, I can definitely tell you that they don't sound the same. Um, the Microzotal 2, it's a pretty expensive amplifier at I think about eleven hundred or twelve hundred dollars uh, it's supposed to use some kind of special impedance matching technology to make the output impedance really low uh, which is something that's not common in a lot of uh, output transformerless headphone amplifiers um, but I didn't I mean, I've heard like the Valhalla 2, which is also a uh, OTL with very low output impedance, um, which is a much cleaner sounding uh, amplifier to my ears. The Microzotal 2 was just really fuzzy um, all the way, just all across the frequency spectrum. Um, I was testing it with a black damping HD650 and the mid bass. Um, really gets a kick up, but it just gets really woolly. Um, I just thought the amp sounded kind of woolly overall. Um, so I don't know that I would... Yeah, I, I would say very distorted. Um, maybe something some people are into. I wouldn't even say it was sort of warm, like uh, a, a stereotypical tube amp would sound warm. Um but it was just really kind of hazy uh, and distorted sounding all across with just a boost in the bass that really just made things sound a little bit more uneven. Um, didn't really like that very much. I actually agree. I heard it a few months ago. I think it was only with an HD 800 though. And it did really weird things to the bass. It kind of made it sound stat-like, which is it a good thing. Like it kind of, there was more mid-bass, but I couldn't really feel it. So it was kind of like the opposite of what you should be doing with the HD800. Uh, did you get to hear it with the linear power supply? Because I got to hear it with and without. And uh, I thought the linear power supply cleaned it up just a little bit, made the treble a little smoother because the treble was a little bit hard uh, sounding with the internal power supply. Um, but still that same weirdness with the bass and that same haziness, although to a slightly lesser degree. I actually didn't try it with the... I think... I don't think it was out when I tried it. But I think it did weird things to the treble, too. It tamed it, but in a way that made it seem more unnatural. So, uh... My opinion on a subject, I have owned a lot of amps and DACs, a lot of different amps and DACs, and I've actually beat a couple. Modi 2 with the Bimby, and I could actually really tell a difference between the two, even blind tested. Kind of obvious, like the Bimby was a lot warmer. It 
had a certain resolving quality to it. Just kind of made things sound. I I don't want to say separated. It just seems a little there, but it kind of made things seem clearer. Like every everything sounded more like it was its own noise. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I had one for a little while um, hooked up to my Lear 2. Um, and the Bifrost multi-bit, I thought, really helped um, make placement a lot easier to determine uh, for instruments and gave a really nice sense of space, but definitely had sort of a warm haze over the uh, over the sound. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And yeah, so do I. I've had the same experiences with solid states um and it just i don't know why people are stubborn to say they don't sound di like a solid state shouldn't sound any different from another but then if you get down to how it's made it's not we're we don't live in a perfect world never not unless you're a chinese company copying off a of bioelectric you're never going to sound exactly the same Like, the O2 has always sounded a tad bit brighter to me. The Magni 2 sounded a tad bit brighter to me. Then we had things like, um, Audio GD's uh, amps have always sound smooth. And slightly warm. And then... There was another one. Oh, the Burson. Ah, yes, the Burson. People that love it, love it. People that hate it, hate it. Um, it's it costs thousand dollars, and it is incredibly colored for what it is. And you'd listen to it, and you can tell that something's. It makes things sound richer that shouldn't sound richer, and a lot of people love that noise or love that sound. And I never have. I always found it quite very distinct solid state and it was always a bad solid state to me that was always just my opinion um, so, I think yeah. part of the problem um, is that a lot of people well maybe not a problem but I think the the situation is that a lot of people are sort of coming over from the PC gaming community and so um, the way that if you look at the way that DAX are advertised now you know they're really featuring the chip uh, itself in a lot of cases and talking about the capabilities um, of the chip um, in its most ideal implementation rather than talking about their their product implementation of that DAC chip. Um, I think there's not been a lot of attention paid to um, how the implementation of a DAC chip really affects how it performs. And uh, so even with this, say with the Sabre chip, um, you know, I've heard a lot of implementations that sound really kind of bright and, and glassy and metallic, um, tinny even. Um, and then now I'm hearing ones that are really smooth. Um, I don't know that I would call them warm, but just really smooth, don't seem to have any hardness or peakiness to them. Uh, like other ones I've heard. I think also another issue is the price, the price factor. Like a lot, I don't think a lot of people really look at something that's a grand or two grand and think, you know, oh, that might be worth it. They always say, no, no, there's no possible way that's worth it. And, um, and sometimes they're right. Like, my last example, the Burson's definitely not worth a grand to me. Um, but something like the uh, Bimby was worth $600 to me. Um, I don't know if I would ever buy it again, but I definitely thought it justified its cost because it's, it had a, a higher quality to it than most things I've heard. Same thing with the NFB28 uh, made by Audio GD other things like that 
And then you always have, you know, you always have the stinkers that kind of give that price range a bad name. And uh, LH Labs products, for example, all astronomically priced for no apparent reason. I mean, the Geek Out's reasonably priced, and I actually like the Geek Out. I own the, uh, I mostly talk about, like, I should have clarified, their desktop products are horribly priced. Like, uh, the Geek Pulse I got for, it was on Indiegogo, and that is about how much it's worth, um, but they're selling it for a grand now. Why, I have no idea. I guess they're just trying to make the most money they can. It's also one of the worst Saber implementations ever. And that's another thing to get into with uh, different DAC chips having different filters that sound. They do that on purpose. Because it differentiates them from competition. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, in some cases it works. Like the Oppo HA1 is really bright, but that's because the PM1 and PM2 are really failed sounding but it's still not a good match i got to i got a no. chance to hear the pm1 on an ha1 and it sounded it it took what was otherwise a very pleasantly thick and sort of euphonic sounding headphone and just made it really thin and bright and the, the ha1 is probably one of the worst examples of a saber implementation um that i've had a chance to hear yeah i agree like, I wish it sounded better. It has so many cool features, and it looks really cool, but just awful sounding. I heard it with the Dharma D8, D1000, I think, and I didn't think highly of it at all until I tried it out of another amp, and I like actually liked the Dharma a lot. Yeah, I can see why that would be a really bad pair, because the Dharma's treble is already kind of splashy. Um, so on, a, on an HA1, I can't even imagine what that would end up sounding like. Alright guys, I think it's about time to wrap up the podcast. Uh, joining us and listening in on our discussions. Um, we were going to have Zach from ZMF on this week, but fortunately his um, aunt passed away, so he wasn't able to make it to have him on in the future. But yep, this has been... Uh, Headphones podcast episode four. Yeah, there's already been four of these. Resident two. Completely. I thought this was number three. You know, this is number three. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been fun so far. Oh, hey, uh, thank you for joining us, guys. And nice day. Thanks for hosting. Yeah, thanks for hosting.